Good afternoon, and welcome to the monthly special edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on Achieve Radio. All right, I'm Ben, and this is our Return to Rendlesham Encore, the seventh in our historic radio series marking the 30th anniversary year of the dramatic UFO events that took place at Rendlesham Forest in the adjustment of uh, the adjacent NATO air bases in Suffolk, England, in December 1980. Uh, good afternoon. This is Paul Eno. Thirty years after the mind-wrenching events at Rendlesham, several of the witnesses and a number of experts returned to the site of the occurrences last month uh, for many reasons. Among these was to continue to draw the world's attention to what many believe was a historic and landmark event in human history. To meet and inform local people about the event, to simply be with other witnesses, and most of all, to continue the search for answers that might never come. All right. So with us live today are some people who have been have become good friends with us over the 14-hour course of this radio series. We have witnesses Jim Penniston and John Burroughs, along with author and UFO expert Peter Robbins, and local Rendlesham era experts Ronnie Dugdale and Tracy Munger. Well, hello, everyone. Hi. Good afternoon. Okay. All right. Oh. These three uh, were our eyes and ears on the ground at Rendlesham last month and recorded over six hours of interviews and seminars. And we can't thank, uh, certainly, Peter and Ronnie and Tracy enough for all the effort they put into that. And we'll be playing some of those things. Uh, to the show, and we had to edit all of this to our top, but with the permission so seminars, now we bring that now. Now, we those were cool. things of Okay. 
Well, as uh, I hope you caught uh, everything we said, we're going to start playing uh, the recording of the initial interview, and then involves uh, Larry is not with us live today, but uh, uh, interviews conducted. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask everyone to wait till the end for comments because uh, the technical uh, issues are are. Uh, might start mounting. So let's just listen to this interesting recording uh, made at uh, Woodbridge Town Hall, I believe, during the Rendlesham, uh, return to Rendlesham event last uh, month when a number of our witnesses that we've become so familiar with actually returned to the site. Ben and I could not be there, so uh, Ronnie and Tracy uh, very kindly helped uh, with Peter. So here we go. Forest incident. Uh, we're here to record notes, uh, football you know, to use uh, to put together the final radio show and um, fire away. Let's begin with you folks posing your thoughts and questions. And go on, we'll Ronnie, can you go first with first? Okay, then um, Larry and Peter, you, you got here yesterday, and uh, as I thought you would, you went straight down to the forest. Um, 30 years on, how does it feel for you coming home? For uh, me, uh, it's now it's uh, you know I've come down quite often, so I've had a lot of over the last 28 years since I've been public or put making this public, whatever. Uh, a lot of opportunities to come back here and kind of see the Exorcist, as they say. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, um, you know I don't feel anything, nothing. I've, as far as the event, I think it's very important, and so. Uh, the question, anyway. I, I don't feel any when I go out to that field. I know exactly where what I saw mm. happened on this night 30 years ago. I know exactly who I was with, and uh, I, I used to feel things early on when we went, in, right? And um, nowadays, I don't feel anything other than I look at the the cost to all my family and uh, my uh, friends and things like that, and. Uh, the crap I've uh, gone through, but on the other hand, I also know that it was important to do what I did, which was blow the whistle, as there's no other word, for the simple reason is that people see this stuff all over the world every day of the week, and anyone that's, uh, you know, foolhardy enough to go f public with it, especially a military thing like this, which is now happening a lot, is that they go through the exact same thing as I do, except that the difference is there's something about me, I don't know what it is, that once I get, you know, I like accuracy and I like truth and I don't like backstabbing people and all that. And I find that uh, that's just more business as usual in this field. And you get trapped in this field. I mean, my whole idea when Sergeant Stins and I talked about this is that in March of 81, we wouldn't get near each other before that. We said, well, someone has to get this out. And I said, well, I'm getting out first. And then you get out and you say, well, you're trying to rebuild your life. You know, he's still a young guy. And I took a lot of post-traumatic stress. They did a lot of bad things to us, I guess, which has come out now. And um, after the fact, I remember exactly what happened in that field. Whether it fits with other people's recollections or I know what happened to me. I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you had, someone had, someone had to do this. Like my mother, I think, said to Bud Hopkins many years ago in a phone interview, she said that someone had to do what he's doing. And, uh, that's for my family. And they're not UFO people. 
and someone had to do it, and so I was, I had to do it. And uh, the more that I was told it didn't happen, or the personal attacks by cowards, by the way, never up to your face, always behind your back. Uh, we call them, well, I won't say it on the radio, but that kind of people don't work for me, you know. Um, so I've seen a lot of pain with uh, people who've been through this subject. And just in general in life, man, you got something to say to someone. I'm not hard to find, you know. <laughs> you know, and these cowards that hide behind fake names on the internet, that's that's the new medium where anybody can cast their lines and their their expert opinions and their this. I find it very interesting at this historic reunion here is that not one debunker, even though it's for a child's charity, a hospice here in East Anglia, not one of them, and I won't name their names, have chosen to attend to defend their position. Not one. Yeah, I know they've been asked time and time again. Well, this should be worldwide news. Yeah. I mean, that has proven in the ultimate. At the very least, you can come here and say we're all liars, we all made it up, but at least go to a children's charity. This has shown them to be the type of people they are. So I'm very honored to be here and help show them to be the type of people they are. Support John and Jim. Uh, at their first opportunity to, to be back here uh, together and uh, relive or do whatever it is they're going to do. I, I wish them well. I hope they get closure and make it go to a, a livable place in their lives. Uh, I, I think I'm, my son helped me do that. And, uh, and how he did that is that had I not had this happen to me, had I not started raising the flag about it in 1982, late 82, early 83, I certainly brought the Halt document out, the Halt audio tape, all that came because of the actions of me yeah, and other that's people. Right. That's a fact, man. Yeah. And keeping this flag going, keeping it going, and then deciding I've been misrepresented in so many damn books by that point, a number of them, more than one, that's for sure, that uh, Whitley Strieber said to me, actually, before his communion came, he said, you should write a book. I'm like, well, I'll do it. Then I needed a co-author, and how it fell into, I'm not going to go into it, it's all in our, our book, how I met Peter, and how that proceeded over nine and a half years, where we became, we're more family, we're not like colleagues, and all these, the people are trying to say we hate each other, all these rumor mills, and all these things that serve people's agendas, because that's all that's going on as agendas to people that weren't involved in this. The rest of us just want to... You know, put a lid on it, get an apology. Uh, that was what I was going to ask. Has anyone ever apologised to you over this? Because lots of things have been... I know you've been taking pot... You've had pot shots taken at you for years and years and years. Has anyone ever come and said, I realise now what I've been saying is wrong? You know, God bless you, Larry. I apologise. Has anyone said that? No. Uh, I, I hear things through the grapevine, but most of the people that do that, do the, I don't know. I don't know them. Or if I've met them, they're all, you know, let me buy you a beer and, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And uh, I went through what I went through. I don't know any answers on it. I would like personally to know who did what to us after, and I want their addresses. Yeah, I don't sure. want an apology. The yeah. second thing I want, and that's a fact, the next thing I want is, um, and Swipes is ready to uh, take notes on those addresses, uh, the next thing I do, I want, because we I believed in my country. I did. I was a patriot. That's why I went in there. I grew up in the Pledge yeah, of Allegiance sure. and all that, you know. And then this thing went on. I knew UFOs existed. I knew that before that. But when you see in real time how they say it's offer of technology and naval intelligence, which halt has just admitted, after I've been saying it years, ran that whole show. They did ugly things to people, including me. 
But the best thing about it is that I never would have dreamed when Bastins and I were sitting in that room in 81 that 30 years from now, everything that's happened in between that we know the facts of, this and that, and not all the spin and junk, and I say little green men, which I've never done, all this propaganda and BS that goes on, is that I am so really amazed that it's gone this far. I'm honored that John and Jim have a chance. We're very different people, no doubt. They're career men in the military, but they no less went through these amazing events they're going to be talking about tonight. And uh, it's an honor to be here to support them. It's their show. It was initially offered to us. I said, this is them. It's about them. It's their time. And that's how you got to be in this world. This is a big thing. It ain't Larry Warren. It ain't about John Jim. It's about all of this. It's a big, giant thing that still reverberates 30 years on and probably will another 30 years or 130 years from now. But we owe it to our kids. I owe it to my son maybe before I shuffle off to uh, get some answers. And... Uh, uh, I, I, it's kind of surreal being here that this is happening. It's like since 1985, I wrote a letter to the Air Force Times asking for this to happen, and they didn't publish it. You know, I've been fighting for this for years. Our book was a, there was a lot of things in our book that was designed as a catalyst to say, well, that ain't quite right. This is what happened. Make people speak. We've never been sued on making statements or claims on any one human being in our book, putting people in positions they were in. Never once. Never a legal letter, just character assassination, particularly me. They don't mess with him because he's too widely respected, you see. But uh, at the end, besides, then they get to deal with me. And at the end of the day... Uh, well, it's the, it's the way it is, and that's how I ride. Some people don't like that. What do you say? They, Peter says some people like their witnesses placid and, you know, docile. I, I'm not quite that. Uh, and I think if I was, I wouldn't be sitting here right now, and none of this would be going on. It would have been right under the old proverbial carpet. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that myself. I'm not blowing my horn again. It ain't the Larry Warren show. But at the end of the day... I'll zip it up because I've said it at the end of the day about three times <laughs> is that I would do it all again because yeah. it is that important. Not for us. We personally have to come to terms and put it in a safe place where we can accept and understand it the best we can. We'll never get all the answers. But we have to do that. And uh, it's important for everybody to wake up because we are not alone. The governments know it. I know that. On my son's head, they got a saying in Liverpool where I live, on my son's head, what I'm saying is the truth. When I spoke in uh, the Disclosure Conference in, in 2001 at the National Press Club, it was the original Disclosure, I raised my hand and I said, under oath, I would testify in front of the Congress or Senate in my, our country uh, under threat of perjury and going to prison. Yeah, I've seen it. And I'd do it. Yeah. And I would do it tomorrow. Mm. But the, here we are now. i got a great kid. Do the best I can getting that child support. I see everyone coming around to this thing. It's on par with Roswell. Well, maybe we're doing this for those boys that kept that oath to the grave. We're a different generation. Vietnam happened between them and us. So we're, we're there. We're, this is, God knows where it's going to go. It's, it's way out of our control now. It's up to the people that have an interest to know that this stuff is real. This is the one. It ain't no summer of love, but this is the one. This is the one that can really bring the house of cards down. And if people stop spinning the witnesses against each other and different agendas and all that and say, wait a minute, man, we can all get something out of this. Might not be nice in the end. We don't know. But I think we're on our way now. And it's an honor to have done it. 
and I'd do it again. Posting. The old guys take the new guys aside and they'll fill them in on this, that, and the other thing. And if there's some special story associated with their base, you know, they'll tell them. Any stories associated with this base? And the kid's behavior changes. He gets a little bit defensive and says, oh, I don't know how you guys feel about the subject, but yeah, there's only one story associated with this space. And there was a major UFO event here years ago. It was hushed up. Guys were sent to the four corners of the world. Uh, and we take it seriously. New guys are taken aside and told in seriousness that this happens. And it was quite a moment for me and for him. Then he did something I thought was really very contactful and kind of elegant. He said to the kid, I want to thank you for leveling with us. I know I kind of put you on the spot there. He said, I'm one of the guys that was involved in the event and we're here to write about it. I was a witness. And it was one of the handful of times in my life where I was looking at somebody's face as his complexion changed. He went kind of white. And he was a white guy to start with, but he went white. <laughs> and he said, almost word for word, it's getting kind of close in here. Do you mind if we step outside? It's February, it's cold, but we were all very happy to, now that I'd eaten Larry's burger. And we step outside, and I swear to you, my impression was, as the door closed, he asked Larry three questions at once. And it was very exciting for all of us. The first few minutes I'm sitting there saying, I'm standing there, remembering it now viscerally. And um, finally, after two or three minutes, I said, do you mind if I turn on a recorder? No, that's okay. And of course, the transcription is created. And we talked, said goodbye, we talked, we said goodbye, we said goodbye about four times. Finally, about a quarter after nine, we said goodbye, and we headed off down the road. I should also say, walking in along the hedgerows, it was really nice that Larry said, oh, you know, it happened on a night just like this. And the fact is that, uh, you know, there was no ambient light, there was no moon, um, and we're going to see something. You're going to see something. What do you mean I'm going to see something? Well, they're here. You know, you're going to see something. Yeah, right. And as we're coming toward the base, we see what's got to be a little satellite tracking along. Boring little thing. And I think we even started to joke about it. And we were watching it when it stopped. It pulsated. It zigzagged and took off like a rocket. Uh, I cannot, we cannot repeat what I said as a result of that on radio. But I was shocked. And I thought, well, that's the watermark of the week. It wasn't. Um, we're now walking back. And at 9.30 precisely, I saw a light over the Rendlesham Forest. It was awful. And I checked my watch. I turned on my recorder and I said, Larry, do you see that? Does that look like a tipped ellipse to you? And he did. And God is my witness. For the next hour and a half, we saw several dozen fully unidentified flying objects. Uh, some of them no bigger, and a number of them, like little stars that were zigzagging. We saw disc-shaped lights. We saw the most pronounced ones slowly drop into the woods and light up the woods like a hundred Hollywood premiere lights. I was so shocked I gasped and said, is there a village back there? Of course there wasn't. It was just woods. Um, it was very tense for me, and ultimately it all came together with the appearance of something at the far end of the field that I think landed and lit up. 
And we, um, it was still going on uh, when we left the area. Remember, we came in the day before. This is our first night of our first visit. I am easily, arguably, with the most controversial, outspoken witness to the case, the only one to come forward, you know, fully. And over the years, I've had people say to me, what a great break for you as a writer, right? And I say, think again. This wasn't a great break for me. First, it freaked the hell out of me. I didn't need it. I didn't want it. And most of all, all of a sudden, I had to face the reality that I was now a character in my own story. I was there to chronicle somebody else's. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be the guy behind the scenes, you know. Well, the week progressed at quite a clip. And when we left Suffolk a week later, I made a quiet pledge to myself that if I ever returned to England, I'd never come within 50 miles of this place. I was freaked the hell out. Some months later, um, Larry finally leveled with me about most of the things that he had not said. And that, the bottom dropped out of my life. I realized I was in so far over my head. And I was angry enough to walk away from the project for some months. Larry was apologetic. He, um, he was a gentleman in every respect. I'm sorry, you know, I couldn't have told you because you wouldn't have come. And he was right. I think I would have walked away from it right then and there. But now I had to face the fact that um, I was involved. And I was frightened. And I'm not proud, too proud to say that. Uh, and after some months, though, and at this time also, I was hearing clicks and taps on my phone. Um, I had a friend who uh, had a friend who was a technician for the old Bell telephone system before they deregulated it, be, it before it became a lot of companies. Um, um, and, you know, for 50 bucks or whatever, he came in after hours and he checked the impedance and he said, yeah, your phone is being monitored irregularly by who I don't know. And I got angry at him. I said, well, that can't be because I'm hearing stuff. And of course, my first reaction wasn't, oh, my God, I'm being tapped. It was I'm in the middle of New York City. I'm amazed the phones work to start with. I <laughs> try to begin always with deductive reasoning where you go from the most mundane, you examine it fully, then you take one step up. To the second most Monday. That is my investigative method, and I'm very proud of it. But he said, no, um, that is true. Uh, of course, a main reason for uh, listening in is to surreptitiously pick up information. He said, but there are two reasons that, you know, uh, phones are tapped. The other is to let somebody know in so many words that you are being listened in on. Oh, my God. Our mail started to be opened and officially resealed with, you know, from the post office. And our friends, the Warnocks here in Suffolk, is my savings. And something happened some months into that next year where the reality of Larry's obsession and the anger behind it, not the other intelligences and the, the totally paranormal aspect, which we both accepted prior to the fact this was not an issue for us, but more what was done to Larry and these other young men and in one case, the most extreme case, one of the men he was debriefed with, who took his life some weeks later, and Larry was the first one to respond and find him with the top of his head blown off. That galvanized me and made me an activist. And in a way, it was very healthy because my anger overcame my fear, and that propelled me through the next eight years. And at a certain point, it was, I'll be damned if anything is going to stop me doing this except for one thing. 
And that was, and I never told anyone, it was a simple agreement I made with myself. I even wrote it out, I recorded it, I hid it in a pack of empty Marlboros, I put it in, you know, I made several copies, put them in places, because I was concerned that not only might I not finish, but I might wake up one day and find that um, Larry had killed himself by shooting himself in the back of the head and jumping off a roof and being run over by a truck at the same time, and I'd be stuck with the reality of it. I wanted to be on record, and I did something that I also discussed in the book. I surreptitiously tape recorded him and led the conversation into putting him on the record. When I finally told him about it sometime after, his reaction was, I would have done the same thing if I were you. And that changed everything. And we charged into the next eight years, and we finished the job. But that was a narrow corridor to get through. Some people suggest that um, what happened 30 years ago was a nuclear cover-up. There was a disaster, and there was a cover-up somehow. Um, yeah, I've heard that. But a nuclear disaster leaves signs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And next question. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think, think what choice you make. Local people say that there was um, probably an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, they, they always believed that there was nuclear yeah, well, arsenal on the base. There's no question about the fact that not only was there an arsenal, but it was in strict violation of our treaty with the United yeah. Kingdom at the time. Yeah. Uh, that would have been something worth covering up, and God knows they tried hard until Larry was the one who was the very first person to discuss this in a public forum. And that was in 1994 when we gave our very first talk on English soil a, for a group in Nottingham. Uh, but if there had been some kind of nuclear accident or problem that did not result in a deployment of the device or some terrible thing, you wouldn't have had to have covered it up per se. And if there was, well, now we're in the world of complete speculation on something that didn't happen and there's no record of. I, I think, you know, it's just human. We're... 90% 90% of the world is deeply conditioned to think UFOs being machines from other planets under intelligent um, control. It can't be, therefore it isn't, therefore it's something else. That's the mantra. And around Ren, call these guys young if you want to. They were highly trained military specialists. Before you were posted on guard duty, you went through a process called guard mount. If you had taken an over-the-counter cold capsule, if you had a sip of beer at lunch, you didn't go on shift that night to suggest that they were taking drugs, uh, you know, on a nuclear base at a time of tremendous uh, um, uh, crisis in Europe. We were very close to a war footing with the Soviets over the events going on in Gdansk and the uh, uh, pro-democracy movement emanating out of there. Uh, this to me is beyond insulting and again the latest thing which appeared in the Suffolk papers about three weeks ago about a a space capsule that the Americans had dropped off a helicopter you know forget even about Larry's event to suggest that what Jim and John saw in the woods it's insulting and I'm done with it it's just (coughs) contemptuous of the truth and there's a smarminess to it I hand carry these documents and the first thing I did is I took out so many of them, shuffled them around, and I stole them. And that's how I got them. That's the only reason we have any of Larry's documents. Yeah, because, because by well, my yeah. one, yeah. all of them 
were in the possession of the National Security Agency, being held at Fort Meade, yeah. Maryland, Larry and I were It's classified. I mean, it's classified. This is beyond totally. non-standard. Yeah. Totally classified. And they're still there. And they're still there. This is all fact. You know, classified, my, my whole record. Now, they, I had took duplicate copies, a lot of them, and they had in triplicate. Thank God. And I just stole them, but I think Sella wanted me to, because I was encouraged in all this to, to do that by this guy. Who was playing what role there, you know? Yeah, and know. see, it goes, my, everyone's all of this. I know now there's some way bigger I'm never going to know. No. Tracy, you've got some questions that's been going on. We appreciate your time. You've yeah. spent a long while with us. We do appreciate it. Yeah. Tracy, just um, rattle off a few questions for you. Yeah, Thank very, you very quickly. Much. Um, basically, there's a lot of questions by the locals. Not quite like that sure. one. But, um, um, sorry, I'm so cold. Reports of experiments at Orford Nest down the road um, causing electrical disturbances and glowing lights. And, um, and there was a few reports of that actually on the nights of um, when things happened. To the best ago. of my knowledge, um, I, I have no idea. Not no. Uh, it is not, you know, um, as the nope. researcher on this, self-funded and pushing my own envelope and a little bit frightened on occasion. Uh, there were certain things I didn't look into, couldn't look into, had no way of knowing how to even begin to. Um, yeah, I'd heard that as a rumor. Um, I've never investigated. I have no idea and I can't comment on it because I, I have no. no ability to have an opinion. Okay, that's fine. Um, one question about the animals, actually. <laughs> um, there's whole claims that the animals were disturbed, farm animals. That they went into a frenzy, according, and that is farm animals as well as forest animals. Uh, let me tell you that not only is that document in UFO incidents, as much as it is in earthquakes or pre-earthquakes and other things, animals are tremendously sensitive, and but that so night that we were having our experience, we heard a sound in the woods, and I say it on there, I hope it was an animal. It repeated a number of times. It was like a scream and a bleat in the background. It is, it, we caught it on the tape. You can hear it when you listen to that first generation tape, and it's chilling. Uh, this is documented, in fact, um, a number of service personnel. Larry talks about seeing deer jumping uh, the fence. It was a much lower fence at the time. Something he'd never seen before, right before the incident. Uh, there were civilians and military people who saw small farm animals, uh, small um, forest animals, and animals as big as deer, literally, leaving the forest in a very, very visual way. And for the only time, as I recall, in recorded history of Suffolk, um, deer congregated in the village square of a nearby village, I don't remember whether it was Butley or where it was, but it was right within the area, and were observed as such on the nights in question. Um, this is simply a physiolo physiological reality. Yeah. Animal reactions in UFO incidents and other uh, non-standard incidences is, is documented. But, um, I mean, I actually experienced it, and that was very haunting. This is when you come back, well, Larry... Um, this was that night when we're yeah. having our experience, experience, and we heard that sound come repeatedly from the woods. It's on tape. We comment on it. Yeah. You hear my voice even more than Larry's because he's more emotionally controlled but it was getting to him too but 
I was unwinding a bit. Uh, I, I was very stressed out that night. Yeah. On um, Holt's night, they claim to have heard like a lady screaming. Do you think that might have been similar? Well, that's the thing. Um, we say it was that a person. It could have been a lady. And here's another thing, too. Over the past year or so, it has hit me like an epiphany because Holt has been clear about the specifics of what he saw, as have others, that I've begun to realize, my God, maybe it was two nights rather than three nights, which some people have maintained, others of us weren't. Larry remembered it as three, but he wasn't there in the first two, etc. Yeah. That what they saw, they were seeing Halt and his men from quite a distance off, you know, mile or less or whatever, than um, um, uh, what Larry and his men were seeing who were right there against the thing. Uh, and in fact, you know, Halt describes red light coming in. Yeah. It may well have been that they were seeing the thing from different angles, and of course, Halt couldn't have seen the close-up aspect because he was, you know, a couple of hundred yards away, maybe. I think maybe tonight we'll have a better idea that yeah, we'll head into maybe the woods. Um, local people, including myself actually, mm -hmm. have come across black fans following you, acting all suspiciously. What would, what would your thoughts be on them and who are they? Black fans. Vans. Oh, people in vans. Um, yeah. um, couple of thoughts. Um, it's not an experience I've had, but in the same way of the whole men in black phenomenon. Yeah. Um, there's a great expression that you don't have to be paranoid to know that someone's following oh, you. Well, yeah. You know, surreptitious listening, um, intrusive investigations, uh, neutral vehicles um, are perfect for this kind of thing. Uh, whether they're black I'm probably, I'm sure some of them are, some of them are not. Yeah. Um, it makes all the sense in the world, and at the same time, if one has, you know, an awareness of this, um, perhaps even serious knowledge, or if they just feel they do, or, you know, you're involved in the work and you think somebody is uh, on to you, and mm -hmm. it's, it's a human impulse to make yourself feel a bit special, and, and granted in kind of a creepy way, um, but probably as many times as it might well be the fact, it's not a fact. Um, I can only say what my, my dear therapist, Dr. Baker, said to me about 30 years ago um, relative to a, a dream that I wanted an answer or an explanation. And he said, quote, unquote, sometimes when you have a dream about a snake, it's a dream about a snake. <laughs> okay, I believe that's the end of our recording. Uh, I want to thank everyone for their patience. Uh, I had planned to stop at different points in that recording uh, just before we, we allow some comments here uh, to explain what they were. In the beginning, of course, was Larry Warren talking about his experience, and uh, we wanted to give him a chance to speak electronically because he's not with us live tonight. The second clip was Peter uh, Robbins, uh, this, who was a co-author with Larry Warren of Left at East Gate, the best-selling uh, book in the UK, and uh, to describe what his experience was eight years, their experience, I should say, eight years after the event, visiting Rendlesham, the base was still open, talking with a young uh, Air Force uh, airman there uh, after, at, at the meal, and then going out and having an amazing UFO experience themselves that very evening on that site. 
And then, of course, uh, later on, of course, uh, Peter uh, describing uh, some further events and uh, uh, talking about black vans and things that we haven't really talked about before. So I'll open it up to comments from uh, our live uh, live guests. So Peter, are you with us? I, I think we might have lost Peter. We'll try to get him back during the break. But Ronnie and Tracy uh, are with us, and uh, do we still have uh, Bill, uh, uh, Jim Penniston, and, and John Burroughs? Barely. Okay, good. Uh, you fellows have been waiting patiently. I'm going to give you a chance to comment on, on what you just heard. Could you hear the recording without any difficulty? Um, John? Yeah, I'm here. Jim? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, could you hear? Okay. Why don't uh, you, you fellows uh, comment on the recording? Uh, uh, Jim, why don't, you, why don't you go first? If uh, you had any comments on what Larry and Peter said. Dibble. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry? Ditto. Oh, ditto. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's as succinct as you can you get. Want me I mean, that's their, their opinions and comments. Yeah. Sounds right. me. Okay. Uh, John? Uh, I mean, I it, to me, it, it, you know, it would be better for Peter to comment on this because, like I said, that involves what Larry felt, what he saw, what Peter saw. I mean, I mean, there's sure. really not much I can say about it. So, um, okay. Uh, so, well, we're going to go into what you fellows, because uh, I don't think we should even try to play the recordings. Uh, we're going to just get frustrate everybody. So I think if we could just review those as we go. But first of all, Ronnie uh, and uh, Tracy and or Tracy, do you have any comments on the recording? You were the interviewers uh, for that recording. What, 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 did, what, did, what were your impressions? Um, this is Ronnie. Um, well, well, like um, Jim and John has just said, really, that was um, Larry and Peter given their opinions of, of what happened, wasn't it? Sure. Okay. All right. And, uh, Tracy, I guess you, uh, you probably yeah, agree. Yeah, the same thing, really. Okay, yeah. very good. All right. So um, uh, what I would like to do, I think, uh, Mr. Producer, can we take a break right now? And uh, I know we have to take one at the top of the hour, but if we can take one right now, I'm going to try to get Peter back and let him uh, sort of take over here. He has a number of questions uh, for all of our guests. So can we do that? Yeah, you got me. Okay, I'm going to, I don't know who that is. As a matter of fact, there is one interesting point I have to make. Uh, There were things in that recording that were edited out and were not sent to the studio. I'm going to leave us with that thought. We're going to be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno, one of our wild and woolly roller coaster rides here on the Rendlesham Topic. We'll be right back, hopefully, with everybody else and Peter Robbins. Stay with us.
Hi folks, this is Paul Eno, co-host of Behind the Paranormal here on Achieve Radio. We're very pleased to have as our sponsor, New River Press and Barking Cat Books, publishers of some of the most unusual New Age titles on the market today. Along with four books by moi, New River Press offers the blockbuster on animal communication, Hear All Creatures, The Journey of an Animal Communicator by Karen Anderson, Shadows on My Shift, Real Life Stories of a Psychic EMT by Psychic Medium Sherry Lee Devereaux, Achieve Radio talk show host of Opening Your Intuitive Eyes. And in a true story that will break your heart with its beauty, especially if you've ever lost a child, there's 41 Signs of Hope by Dave Kane about the ongoing love and communication between a father and a mother and their son, youngest victim of the 2003 nightclub fire in Rhode Island. Finally, from Barking Cat Books, don't miss the action adventure that spans a thousand years, Heaven's Wave, a novel of the doomsday prophecy of 2012 by Dierlein. Visit NewRiverPress.com, BarkingCatBooks.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Every three minutes, another woman gets the news that she has breast cancer. And here are some of the first words she hears. Her two new oncogene, aromatase inhibitor, ductile carcinoma in situ. What do these words mean? How are you going to decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? This is Olivia Newton-John. As soon as you get your diagnosis, you can go to breastcancer.org. It's a special place on the internet where you can learn how to say all those breast cancer words and find out what they mean. At breastcancer.org, you can learn more about your particular kind of cancer and your treatment options. Prepare a list of questions for your next doctor's visit and get all kinds of other useful information to guide you and your family through this. Breastcancer.org, the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. There's a place that all American soldiers hold in their hearts. It's home. Chicago, Illinois. Temple, Texas. Georgetown, South Carolina. But when they're away from home, there's another place they turn to. It's the USO. And in more than 130 locations around the world, for American troops and their families, it's as close to home as you can be. Fort Worth, Texas. Los Angeles, California. Honolulu, Hawaii. The USO is how America supports her troops. It's how we say thank you to the men and women who have placed our fortunes and our families and our futures ahead of their own. The USO is a private, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that relies on the generosity of the American people. San Diego, California. San Antonio, Texas, baby. Pasadena, California. But for now, it's right here. Find out how you can help. Visit us at USO.org. The USO. Until everyone comes home. AchieveRadio.com And we are back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and it's Paul speaking, and we have our Rendlesham uh, Encore show going on here today. Uh, up and down, we're having some te- technical difficulties, but hopefully we resolve them during the break. And uh, I just wanted to give um, Peter, uh, Peter Robbins a chance to turn things over to Peter. Uh, we heard the recording earlier of uh, Tracy and Ronnie uh, interviewing Peter and Larry Warren at the actual Return to Rendlesham event. And, uh, Peter, uh, what um, what do you have for us uh, as far as our, our continuing uh, discussion of this tonight? We have uh, uh, John Burroughs and uh, Peter. Uh, I'm, should, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so confused by all this technical stuff. <laughs> John Burroughs and our good friend Jim Penniston with us as well. So uh, yeah. take it away, Peter. 
I, I'm sorry uh, you lost me there. And um, hi, John and Jim. Um, it's good to be connected with you up again, even here in cyberspace. Uh, I got to say hi to um, um, uh, Don and to um, Tracy before as well. Um, you know, the whole thing for me uh, of being back there, and I know like a hundred times more for you guys, um, it was very poignant. Uh, it was very emotional. Uh, ran the gamut of feelings from um, real anger to um, sadness. Uh, the things that the witnesses were put through, I think, were unconscionable. And I thought you guys were articulate and uh, very patient with an extremely emotional audience. In fact, um, I think I gave my birth, first public talk in this area in the early 80s, but I don't remember uh, speaking before an audience that was more caught up in the story for uh, understandable reasons and more angry um, at growing up with um, not knowing the truth around this. And I, I wondered, for both of you guys, uh, any reflections back on some of the questions that you fielded with the audience? Because, boy, they hit you with their best shots repeatedly. Either one. Go ahead. Uh, John? Hello? Yeah. Is Jim there? Jim's here. Yeah, uh, Jim? Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you hear uh, Peter all right? Uh, yeah, apparently uh, it's a little weak, but uh, yeah, I heard him. Yeah, okay. again, um, for example, you know, Jim, uh, at one point somebody asked you a question, uh, and they were angry um, about why, you know, we hadn't heard about this information uh, on the binary code in your notebook. Wow. And I thought you did a great job of answering the question, but I, I just wondered if you have any follow-up thoughts on that. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, they must think that we're, like, I don't know, they, they've been they're looking at these things, I mean, totally different from where our heads were actually at at the time. I mean, this is nothing more than an investigation of uh, a possible aircraft downing. And then, you know, anything that happened in between that, uh, you know, it all seems so bizarre. Why would I tell anybody about that kind of stuff, you know? It was just too... Uh, I thought it was just too bizarre. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know what? We if we even attempted. John and I attempted uh, back in 1980 to tell everything that happened out there like that. Um, well, they would have discharged us. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that would have been it. Oh yeah. I mean, it wouldn't went over then. It wouldn't went over 20 years ago. It wouldn't went over 10 years ago. Uh, the time to release it was now. And that was actually by chance because it uh, wouldn't probably happen if we wouldn't have been out Phoenix uh, doing a film shoot and uh, the subject came up. Uh, it's just that in 30 years, no one ever asked the question, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they asked, I, I thought when that they was, um, you know, sometimes life is like that. And um, you know, the answer sounds like an evasion, but it's simply the truth. And, John, I thought you were outstanding in answering certain questions with, I'm not sure, and then saying why you weren't sure. Uh, most people are not used to that. They want a yes or a no, and this is an area where we don't have a lot of yeses and nos. Oh, yeah, and uh, to be fair with Linda Moulton Howe also, uh, I did a, uh, a partial book with her, uh, a, a contributor in a book in 1998, 
<laughs> and, you know, of course, we had brought up the transcript, you know, about binary code being done and things like that. And uh, and uh, she had the transcript of actually the 1994 uh, hypnosis. Yeah. Of course, during that hypnosis session, we never did talk about the 29th. That was the following day when I wrote her thing down. You know, so it never did come up there either. But all it would have took is one question, you know, like, <laughs> Well, what about the binary code? Can you explain that? Would you do anything with that? Oh, yeah, I wrote them down. But, you know, <laughs> no one's ever asked a question, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I also um, uh, appreciated that um, uh, because you are um, on a working agreement right now for this documentary with Discovery Channel, there were certain questions that would have been completely wrong and off contract to answer. And we are all looking forward to seeing this documentary, and I know you know, when they set a broadcast date, once it's done, we'll all be aware, and um, hopefully that will address some of the questions that came up that well, would have been... I think it will. Yeah. You know, John and I are talking about going back and forth about what else we're going to do with this, and I'll yeah. tell you, quite honestly, Prometheus is not sure what to do with this uh, raw film uh, uh, footage that they have either. They're not sure how to... Uh, handle it because of the information. I mean, uh, mm. do a special? Do they do a, uh, a show for just another ancient aliens? Or they're not yeah. really sure what to do with it either, uh, yeah. because of the content of the uh, the information that we gave them. Um, so we'll yeah. see. we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, we're going to be doing um, our CBS. Sorry to interrupt. Our CBS yeah. show tonight uh, from uh, seven to eight to Eastern is going to be dedicated to. Uh, Jim and John will be back with us, and we're going to be talking in depth about the binary code thing. We have David Wilcock with us, who did some research for in the Ancient Aliens episode that dealt with that, and we'll get into that in some depth. But it's um, uh, it, talk about fascinating. It really is. Uh, just uh, not to interrupt you again, Peter, but I just wanted to point out that uh, Nick uh, Pope during our second show in June on CBS was talking about uh, apologizing on behalf of the British government for. What happened to the guy? Larry said nobody had ever apologized. I don't know if Larry was with us that night, uh, yeah. or if it was any meaningful apology ever yeah. has been made. But Nick at least made an effort. Yeah, and of course Nick is now retired from his position of exactly. more than twenty years with the ministry. But um, it means something. I also thought that um, uh, Nick, as the only person who is remotely connected to Her Majesty's government, also received some pretty aggressive questions. And, you know, he can only say so much, he only knows so much, but he did make one case for um, something that uh, shouldn't surprise anyone, um, namely for those who feel that there was a conspiracy on the part of the ministry to cover this up. There may have been, there may not have been. But the fact is that sometimes within huge bureaucracies, um, there is incompetence, and that can look like something more sinister. Again, he wasn't pushing the point, but I thought it was important that he made the point. Very true. And again, uh, what we're talking about, everyone, uh, just to get everyone uh, uh, geographically located here, is that uh, <laughs> the, the actual Return to Rendlesham seminar series that occurred during the, re the uh, uh, Return to Rendlesham event last month at Woodbridge Town Hall in Suffolk, England. So I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I, I just want to pick up on that. Um, you know, this program came together um, fairly quickly. A lot of us were very frustrated that um, nobody had been able to pull together some kind of conference for the 30th anniversary. I was back on the 25th and huddled in the woods with about half a dozen people and, you know, uh, by Eastgate. In fact, right where we went with uh, Jim and John on the night of the 28th. 
Um, but it was through the uh, efforts of um, two guys, two local guys, regular guys, um, God, Gordon Goodger and Dave Wright, um, who had organized a talk for Larry and I uh, in 1997. They're, they're the ones who really uh, did the lifting and moving on this. And we began the program. I spoke briefly, then Linda, then John and Jim. Then we had a panel discussion with us, joined by Nick, uh, although 90% plus of the questions were appropriately for John and Jim. And we kind of tailed off around 11.30. So with a brief break, we went for almost five and a half hours. And I think it was John who said words to the effect of, we know you're tired and things, but if there's anybody that's still interested in going out in the woods, even though it's cold, um, we'll go. And there were almost 400 people in that room, and I can't give you an accurate count, but I'm going to say it was at least 100, 150 hands went up. And 40 minutes later, we were walking up the Eastgate Road, most of us with flashlights. You know, we had our long underwear, double socks, and we went back to that gate. And let me tell you, I've been back there quite a number of times on my own with small groups with Larry uh, since 88, but John and Jim brought it to life in a way that none of us had ever experienced or could have imagined. I hope some of that footage is going to make its way into the uh, documentary or the television show that Discovery is doing. It was, uh, it was just so damned interesting. And both of you guys went out of your way not just to state the facts, but to talk about who you guys were back then, what your feelings were, and it was terribly moving. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And it, it, it just brought it home to all of us. Um, I'll never forget it, frankly, and I just want to thank both of you again for, for going out of your way there. We were all tired, and, you know, most of us would have been happy to go home and go to bed, but you guys really did a yeoman's job on that, and we appreciated it. Thank you very much, sir, Peter. I appreciate the nice comments about that. It was a very emotional experience. Uh, out there. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> but, you know, and and Jim, you know, at one point you yeah. were saying, you're talking about who you were back then, and my sense was you were all business, you were Air Force, your sense of humor was not your strongest point, and you said, I was trained to observe and report. I wasn't trained to think about this stuff or to try to process it. And, you know, um, it, it said it so well. I, I can't imagine how I would have reacted if it had been me. I know that if it was one of the other folks uh, that I worked with, it would have been the same way. They, wouldn't, they, they would have went out there, they would have got their information and processed it and reported it. I mean, that's what I believe. I like to believe that anyway. Yeah, yeah. And then you brought up another thing, too. Um, Larry Warren left well, the service. Uh, yeah. Keep going. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Peter. I was just going to add that Larry, oh, as we okay. know, well, I was, left. I wanted left to ask. Yeah. Ronnie and Tracy, who the local people, and we're still having some problems here. Go, well, go ahead, uh, Peter, because you're you're having yeah. fewer and then, problems. Just to make a point, and then I'd also like to hear from Ronnie and Tracy. Um, Larry Warren left the service with an honorable discharge about six months after the events. You guys stayed in. And in a way, even though Larry was kind of on his own for years as far as maintaining that I saw something out there and then was joined by you and other witnesses, 
in a way, I think it must have been rougher for you because you, you know, continued to serve your country and you weren't free to speak openly. Uh, I'm sorry, there's a delay here. I think they can only continue to talk about Randall's case with all our friends. Thank you very much. Stay with us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay.